Hi everyone. Today we're going to continue the second part of our conversation around the Project Frontier, and we'll get into that introduction in just a little bit. I just wanted to briefly apologize for the sound quality for this episode. Uh, I was an idiot, I was stupid, and didn't choose the correct microphone, so it's recording from my laptop instead of from the microphone you're hearing right now. And as a result, you get to hear what my household's like. You get to hear my kids playing upstairs, and you get to hear all the noises. I really hope it's not distracting. Uh, we're still, we're just two guys trying to figure out how to do this recording and editing and all that. And sometimes these things fall through the cracks. And so, uh, I, again, I apologize. I thank you for listening and your patience with me. I promise next time uh, I will do everything I can to make sure that the correct microphone is chosen and that we have a better sound quality. Maybe you can think of this as that you're in my living room downstairs with Ryan and I. And we're just having a conversation as life is happening all around us. I thank you for your patience. And without further ado, here is our episode on our commitment to unity. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe, why you believe it, or how it interacts with your life, what your faith looks like as you go through this life. My name is Nathan Whitaker. And I'm Ryan Harris. And today we're going to continue our project, our Frontier project of what this looks like, what all this, all that we've talked about, all the concerns that we have, all the hopes that we have, what it looks like if we were to put a tangible community around it? What does it look like to live on the frontier with others in community? And uh, last week we talked a great deal about difference and so much so that it's one of the commitments that we would have as a community, uh, a commitment to difference and being okay with that. Ryan, what do you think about last week's conversation? You know, it was an interesting experience last week because partly in reflection of just how you and I work through things, but also the um, not complexity necessarily, but just how difficult this uh, topic that we're trying to think through is, is at first I felt like, gosh, I hope we're not too confusing because I wasn't entirely tracking myself, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but by the end of the podcast, I really like where we ended up. I hope that you listener people did too. <laughs> um, it was an interesting experience because usually, you know, we have a, we, we never have a definite idea of where we're going to end up, but usually we have a, a more concrete idea of what we're talking about and how we're going to get there. And so it was a bit of a different experience for me because it wasn't, wasn't quite like that last time. And we're going to continue that experience and have some fun. <laughs> yeah. Really so I really hope you guys who listen like this because uh, too bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're going to do it differently. Uh, we're going to do that different kind of podcast this week as well, which means there'll be some times where we kind of meander, but it's all focused on getting us to the place where we resolve to another commitment. We at least have that. We now have something that we want to drive towards. What does that commitment look like? And uh, today we're going to talk about the commitment to unity. Uh, it's kind of the other side of the coin. It's not the opposite of what we talked about last time. 
because if you listen last time, difference is part of what makes unity uh, what it is. But we didn't spend a lot of time focusing on what unity is, what that really looks like in community. And so we're going to talk about that other side of the coin. And as we do, uh, I just want to be upfront. Ryan and I have already talked about this. We don't have a clear definition of what unity is. We're going to talk more about what unity does not look like and what it does look like. And we might get to a, an actual definition at the end, but I think that as we discuss this, we'll get a clear picture at least of what unity means for the community. Yeah, it's kind of like we're, well, it is like we're working towards this um, idea, towards this definition. And, you know, in our defense, we looked up the definition of unity and it just says the state of being united. So that's that's not not very helpful. So um, so bear with us a little bit. But I think the kind of thing we're doing here, I think, requires this kind of working through, this kind of wrestling with, in a sense, because I think it's not an easy it's a big problem. It's a, it's, I mean, we, we talked about it a lot last time, but that's not a, okay. I thought about it for precisely one week. Here's my three point plan to fix it. Right. <laughs> if any of you has that, please send it to us because <laughs> I would love to do it, you know? Um, but it's just that idea of we're really working towards this and we don't have it all figured out yet. Well, and as we talk about the things that we don't think unity is, I think a, a secondary component of that is that not only does it require some time to think it through, but the natural leanings that we go towards of what unity is or what it looks like are actually pretty problematic in our culture and in Western Christianity. So uh, we've, we've had some stabs at this as churches, as church bodies, as people but they've all led down a path that's not very helpful for actual unity, or at as, least from our perspective. I say, as far as we know, right, you know, in our experience and what we've seen of the church, and I think by and large, certainly the image that people who are not in the church have of the conservative church, and probably some of the other ones too, is not that this has happened. There might be, you know, I've done a little bit of looking, but there very well could be someone some ones out there who are doing these kinds of things. Um, but as far as our experience has gone, it seems to be few and far between at best. Yeah, yeah. So the first one of what unity is not might help capture what we're talking about. And it's actually a nice segue from last week. Uh, the first thing that unity is not is uniformity. And we even talked about that briefly last time. We may have even... Uh, spoke that word uniformity uh, but unity is not uniformity what is uniformity ryan boring insulting the worst <laughs> <laughs> no i mean uniformity is like if we said we're trying to create one church that has one set of beliefs and one pastor and one um you know take whatever it is and everybody has to be exactly the same Right. Because let's say one church out there somehow convinced all of the other churches that they, in fact, do have the truth as that is understood that way. It's not that right. It's not this. We're not trying to make 
a Stepford church, right? We're not trying to make it yeah. where, um, you know, it wasn't a great movie. I, did, I wasn't real happy with the new, the newest adaptation of A Wrinkle in Time, but there was that one scene where they were at the the Bad Planet, which his name is escaping me, and you know where all the kids are bouncing the ball at the same time. I don't know if you saw this or not, but no, um, like it is the creepiest thing you've ever seen before because they live the kids all look the same. They live in a suburb that's all the same houses, um, and the whole idea is like trying to make this into this uniform, um, soulless, no personality kind of thing. And that's not what we're talking about. Like we said last time, we're talking more about um, we want to celebrate difference, not get rid of it. Forgive me, this is probably an obvious question, but why don't we want to be robots? (laughs) Well, you know, some days. (laughs) Um, Well, we don't like so to me, soulless robots in this context would be, you know, we all have to think the same things about everything. We have to like do the same kind of music in church. We have to read the same translation of the Bible. We have to uh, preach the same way, you know, whatever it is. Like this idea that there is no individuality in a theological sense and possibly even in a, in a identity sense. Um, I think kind of like we don't want to be a beehive, you know? Like that, we don't. We're not drones. That's not what we're talking about. I guess I'm asking myself: Do people who want uniformity or work within a, a heritage or a view of scripture that sees uniformity as unity, do they want drones too? And this doesn't have to necessarily go in, but I'm just curious. No, I don't think so. I don't think that. Well, I guess I can't say nobody, but by and large, I don't think people are trying to make that happen. Uh, It reminds me a lot of, I think this is okay to use as an example. It reminds me of the colorblind stuff that we were taught as kids, you know, in terms of ethnicity and such that there's no difference. We're all the same. And those people who taught us that were not trying to do something bad. I think quite the opposite, right? Um, But we've kind of discovered by now that the effects have not all been good because it's really minimized heritage and difference and all that kind of thing. And so I think the people who have either done this or worked towards this, I don't think it's been a conscious thing. You know, it, it, it uh, sounds a lot more nefarious when you think of it that way. And I, I think it's probably been well-intended um, just maybe be, maybe not entirely well thought through. Okay, yeah, that makes me feel a little bit better because I'm trying to avoid, because I do this sometimes, I, I fight things that don't really need to be fought, you know, in my, uh, my own mind, and and I, to have a caricature of what uniformity looks like and fight against that, I was not feeling quite good about that. I'm not saying we were doing that necessarily, but... Well, and maybe, but maybe you're hitting on something important. Maybe my portraying it that way was a bit too dramatic in a sense. Like I was using it figuratively, right? I wasn't imagining that actually happening anywhere like I described it. But, you know, that's not quite what we mean. I think, I think it's honestly what we're talking about here. Uniformity 
makes it so that there is no difference, right? Uniformity reads the part in Galatians about there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, and, and says from that, ah, see, we are all exactly the same. Yeah. And it's like, well, I don't think that's what that's getting at, right? Like, no, we are different. But in terms of our worth and justification and all that kind of stuff, we're the same. But, um, you know, so I think it's it's more that idea that it's not like we said last week, it's not losing what makes us us, whoever that us may be. It's it's trying to avoid things that minimize. um, What's the word I want that minimize diversity? But there's more to it than that, that minimize uniqueness, I think. Mm. Yeah, the, the closest I get to thinking about it is, I'm sure this is true in other church bodies, but in ours, we're, we're doing some really good work in Africa. And uh, it struck me as odd that one of the main things they wanted to do was uh, translate our Book of Concord, which is our confessional text, into the African languages huh. to teach it. Like, not just to not just to give them as something for them to consider, but for them to actually read and digest and, you know, to uh, ascribe to and in various ways. And theologically, I know why our church body would do that, but it's almost like it feels, at least from our church body, uh, it feels colonial, like it's not something where, hey, this is a historical thing that happened, and this is how uh, Europeans in the 16th century express this, and we want to encourage you to express it in your way. Um, that's not what's going on, because that's far too uh, whatever. <laughs> yes, although I think it that what we're talking about, I think colonial missionary work is a good example of it, although not the kind where they, you know, tried to eradicate native languages or whatever. But right. the idea that like they spread Christianity by making the natives British or French or whatever it was, yeah. wherever they went. Um, that idea, I think, is uniformity. Um, whereas yeah. it would be, it's so much more not just refreshing, but it's so much more authentic and cool even to see the ways that, for example, uh, a church in Africa in a specific region, how they present and interpret their faith. It's so radically different than how I learned it. And I always find that fascinating. And it would be quite a, yeah, honestly, I think quite a tragedy if that were not part of the, um, the church as a whole. Yeah, I like that. I think that's probably a better image of uniformity for me. Of course, it's more problematic for some folks because you have to agree that colonialism exists today. But still, uh, I think that's exactly how I see uniformity is, you know, because people who live in a uniformity perspective would say, well, we welcome differences. You know, if you want to worship with drums or with this or that, you know, depending on who they are, we're okay with that because that's your culture and there's that whole piece of it. But that that's still uniformity, even if you, as the colonial power or the metaphor of that stand-in, allow certain things, doesn't mean uniformity isn't happening. In fact, it's probably an indicator that it is. Mm. So... 
I think that's a really good way to say what it's not. Unity is not this. It's not a colonial approach to to uh, religion. It's not. I, I think the robot thing is appropriate with that context. Right. Within that context, then it's, then it makes sense why they're robots. I think Stepford was a little too far because that's more of a. <laughs> It has a more sinister connotation than I think is warranted. Um, but yeah, that that idea is this idea of, uh, I think there's something about how power works in the dynamic that's involved, but that's probably a different conversation. For that's probably day. where the Stepford stuff comes in. Yeah. That's definitely there. And, you know, as, as you know, maybe some of our uh, podcast listeners don't know this, but I don't put much weight into intention and all that kind of stuff. I, I see things more as consequences and results. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking of like, what are the results of thinking that we're all robots? And that's where I was having trouble. Not because mm -hmm. I thought you were ascribing malicious intention to people. Not most people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's some out there, but generally speaking, no, I, I don't think people have that in mind uh, as their goal. Yeah. And another thing that a lot of people don't have in mind, although this one is probably closer to being able to be intentional, uh, but it, it happens naturally too. And we've talked about this a few times, but unity is not uniformity, but it is also not demagoguery. And what I mean by that, and I want to hear what you think, Brian, but what I mean by that is that it's not uh, led by one person and controlled by one person. Uh, demagoguery is, can be intentional within certain congregational settings, within certain church bodies. You know, you get this cult of personality type thing going on, uh, depending on what I really want to say is that it can also happen unintentionally. And this is kind of the dynamics of power where uh, I've experienced this as a pastor. People kind of want me to be a demagogue at some level. Uh, they want me to be the one to control. And, and, you know, again, this is not something they're asking, like, hey, please mm -hmm. be my demagogue, mate. Uh, but the they acquiesce they they look to me to make decisions or answer questions that really give me more power than they need to be giving me and i could see how somebody uh in the christian church how a lot of people probably have gotten have found themselves there now it doesn't mean that they don't have any responsibility right for me i say this often one of the hardest things i have to do in those situations and tell people no mm, <laughs> i'm yeah. not going to answer that question i'm not going to take that from you because you deserve more now i don't you know go into a whole spiel about it but i just <laughs> basically say no thanks here's how uh well i ask a question what do you think or something like that right uh, but demagoguery, I think, is another thing that unity disguised or that can be disguised as unity. Hmm. Uh, what do you think of demagoguery when you hear that? See, it's interesting because, like, I tend to think of demagoguery as more insidious or more manipulative in the sense that demagogues usually um, 
they usually create crises where there may not be one, right? And all they do is basically, you know, problem, 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 get people mad, problem, 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 and then use it for their own um, benefit somehow. And so I think you're right, though, that that kind of thing, too, can have the effect of um, creating a kind of unity, except it puts all of the unity behind one man or woman in the sense that that person then directs the entire community. Um, And, you know, you don't have to be Falwell and others like that to be a demagogue, (laughs) I don't think. Right. Right. I mean, I think even when... See, it's tough because I don't want to say any time, say, a pastor or a Christian says, uh, you know, this is a problem. That's not necessarily necessarily demagoguery, right? But I think the difference is like when a person says, hey, this is a problem, they usually say it to try and figure out what to do about it. Whereas a demagogue uses that to get up there and say, man, these are big problems, so you should trust me, Right. Yeah, um, they're right. not actually trying to have any kind of progress because honestly, that emotional state and stuff is what lets them keep control of people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, in a sense, I don't think we're saying that unity requires there to be no leadership or there can't even be strong leadership in a sense. But I think that unity would require us to be careful about putting too much of our effort or goals or whatever behind one person, whoever that person might be. Yeah, I see this a lot with pastors, uh, especially they will say in the theological realm. So they kind of see themselves as experts theologically, and they create this culture, if you will, within the, the community where any theological discussion has to happen with them as part of it Hmm. in order that they can check in and make sure that the theology is right. Hmm. Uh, Now, on one level, that's completely banal and doesn't impact most people's lives, right? Because most people don't care about the inner workings of the Trinity, for example. Yeah, and in some aspects, there may be something good to that, right, in certain circumstances. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But there are certainly areas, especially with a lot of the things that we've talked about around the culture wars that impact people's lives, where it certainly makes a lot of uh, chaos occur. We get gatekeepers Mm -hmm. to marriage, for example. We get... uh, (laughs) Uh, pastors speaking well out of their realm of education about into, science or yeah, whatever, yeah, psychology, uh-huh. sociology, um, and it's all because of this training that they get. But it, it it kind of morphs into this, or maybe it doesn't morph. Maybe it's something that uh, you know either just happens or something that they intentionally try to do because they as many evangelicals and many Christians are, they want to be harbingers of truth almost. (laughs) Um, Harbingers of something. Yeah. They take control of people as a result and become demagogish in their uh, leading of people. Yeah. And I think it's also for any of us who preach, you know, it's another thing to keep in mind to be aware, uh, to be wary of, you know, um, why why are we saying whatever we say and what's the goal kind of stuff that's a bit of a side thing but i think it 
is important to to what we're talking about here because most of us want that kind of leadership, honestly, um, in most things that we do. And like I said, it's not that there's never a place for elements of that, but um, I think it's another way that we can really miss than all the differences that we're talking about because it's basically been made in the image of one person or one small group of people or or what have you yeah yeah well and then fear and other stuff kind of creep in that can destroy a community and of course destroy lives right but i think yeah. you're right that with demagoguery too that's not by the way that's a funny word to say demagoguery um <laughs> it often in the church i don't well I think for in terms of most pastors and churches, I don't think most of them are intentionally doing that kind of thing, right? Or setting out to do that. Some are, and there's no other word for that. They are. But generally speaking, I think it's another thing that happens, maybe even from well intentions, but you know, we're past the point where, like you said, intentions almost don't matter where we're, with what we're talking about here, because it's yeah. what we've got, you know? Well, this one's a lot easier to see when it happens, too, because power, even those that are unintentionally doing it, power becomes a huge focus. Like it's something that's felt. And so if you disagree with the demagogue, uh, you know it, right? Because the demagogue will make you feel like you're an outcast, will make you feel like you're not part of what's going on, that you're wrong and you need repentance and so on and so forth. And so... Uh, I think even even with those that are unintentionally doing it, it's probably a little bit more harmful and yeah. less uh, less uh, nuanced and hidden than you know the the uniformity angle of it. So yeah, I want to highlight the unintentional part, but as I said, just like I have to take the initiative to tell them no when they want something from me that gives me too much power. Uh, on the other side, when you have that power, uh, you know, you're responsible for that. Right. I mean, I think that's one of the things that James probably has in mind when he talks about those of us who teach are held to a higher standard. I don't think it means what I was taught. It means that like you better do your sermons right or God's going to get you. I yeah. More that there's a greater responsibility there to watch out for that sort of thing. So there's not a not a chalkboard in hell of all the times you say something wrong <laughs> theologically. Well, there might be, but not. No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's not about right theology. I think it's about people. I know, crazy, right? Crazy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there's probably one more thing that we've come up with. Um, that's part of what unity is not, and and we've probably hit on this somewhat in what we've said already, but. Uh, unity is not a superficial thing. It's not a let's all hold hands and sing Kumbaya, go home happy with some cookies and we're all good kind of thing. Um, I think it's something that requires, I think there's a reason we're saying it needs a commitment, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. There's more to it than that, but it was your idea and I stole it from you. So what do you think about it? Well, I, I think that church culture, many church cultures are superficially together. They are, they will say that they're united in Christ, that you're, they're together, that they're doing things together. Um, 
And, you know, as you said in the outset, there are certainly congregations where that is true, that they are together, that they have a sense of unity around the mission that Christ has given us to, to care and love for other people, especially through uh, his gospel. However, I will say a lot of people kind of latched onto the language of that mm. and you'll walk into it into a congregation and will not feel united. Uh, there's also, that's one thing. There's also this other problem where they might be united socially as an in group. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's superficial to everyone else because that in group might be close. They might not be, but they might be close. And yet anyone who's on the outside of that in-group is not. And so it creates this weird superficiality and, of course, power tr structures and dynamics that, that cause problems, too. Yeah. And I've had experience in both kinds of congregations where they will say they're together, but then the second they leave the church, they don't think about the other people in that congregation until the next Sunday. And people that will say, Oh, we're just such a loving congregation, and those people who say that are those that are really in the in-group because because they are probably loved. They probably are loved yeah. uh, in a social way, not in a Christian way. Well, and I think that's important too. Like, um, while there is a component of this social acceptance in unity, right? Like uh, uh -huh, relational yeah. type stuff. Unity is not well. Hey, we play golf together really well. Golf's such a dumb game, but I'm anyway. Like it's it's not like we got together and we had dinner and it was a nice time. We are united, right? Not yeah, because we have podcast or pot potlucks. We uh, love yes, those. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not that those things are bad or that they can't be like maybe even the beginnings of like connections that can be it, but it's like those are superficial things by themselves as part of a larger effort or other things, maybe not. But if, if you say, what are you talking about? We're united. We had a potluck the first week of every month. Yeah. Well, that's a very superficial thing if that's all that it is. Exactly. And I don't know. I think, Part of my journey in my faith life is trying to find uh, an authentic community. I don't think I've really found one. All that I don't, I don't know. I don't even want to hedge that. I don't think. I don't think I found a truly authentic community, faith community. I've experienced authentic community outside of the Christian church, which is hugely problematic <laughs> theologically. But An episode of its own, huh? Yeah. Uh, but I don't think I've experienced it. So superficiality uh, with the language or I don't want to say hope because the hope of uh, unity is a good thing. The language or let's say the behaviors mm. uh, without the the bondage that links everyone in unity. Right. We have this a lot in the Lutheran church because we like the body of Christ image. Mm-hmm. And as we've talked about, uh, we typically apply that not to the church universal, which is what we're talking about here. Uh, usually it's within the congregation. So there are people who are hands, there are people who are feet and so forth. And what I have found that happens as a result of that is that people, it, it's, it's funny because it's so absurd, but it's so like human to do. 
uh, people will orient towards those who are like them. So people mm. who are more like hands, they'll kind of create their own little group, and that'll be that. And and so we talk about this body image, and yet we're not really united. It's just another way for us to segregate and differ from, not differ, but uh, shun others. Right. Yeah, I mean, again, intentionally or not, it doesn't matter because that's what it creates. So as we said, we don't have a clear definition of what unity is. Uh, we're going to explore that in just a second, but we have a clear idea of what unity is not. And unity is not uniformity, where we all think and, and do the same things. It is not demagoguery, where we acquiesce to a, a leader, charismatic or otherwise, who tells us what to do, and um, they stand as the the beacon of truth, I guess, in that community. And it's not superficial. So if it's not those things, let's start talking about what we commit ourselves to. So we, we have a clear way of uh, moving forward, moving towards, as you said, unity. Uh, how can we... What can we commit ourselves to to move towards unity? Yeah. Um, I think one of the things we're going to have to do or commit to in opposition to superficiality, I think we're going to have to commit to, um, I don't want to just say depth because that's too vague, although that too. I think it's maybe as um, as simple as a commitment to hard work right? Instead of just having a, um, you know, game night with someone from another church once in a while, um, it's, you know, actually forming a relationship with that person or those people. Um, there has to be more to it than just, well, we had a good time, you know, like, I think we all look for a good time. Sure. Right. We all look for friends and all that kind of stuff. And that's great. But I think there's something to the idea of a unified, um, a, a united faith community that's more than just we like each other. I mean, Jesus, I don't think Jesus, when Jesus said, love your neighbor, I, he didn't say like your neighbor, although that's great, right? <laughs> I think it's, it's going to be difficult to do this because we've been taught Certainly, like like we've said, we've been taught, whether explicitly or learned behavior in the church, that it's that uh, it's more of the superficial thing. It's more of this mm -hmm. uniformity thing or whatever. And so it's going to be hard to shift not just the paradigm, the way we think about it, but it's going to be even harder to actually do something different. You know, it's yeah. one thing to say, you know what? Uh, this is a good point. I need to change X, Y, or Z in my life, right? It's quite another thing to say, and so, or quite another thing to actually start to do whatever that is. Yeah. And you could take positive or negative examples for that. I think I, you think you know what I mean. I probably don't need to go into that, but I mean, it's going to take hard work. That honestly, a lot of us myself included, would probably just be like, yeah, but what if we just uh, didn't, though? <laughs> you know, like, not because we don't want these things, but because, I mean, most of us are pretty lazy, you know? But I think what we're saying is you can't half-ass unity. Yeah. And if we, if we take away, not that we're taking them away, but if we 
uh, if we leave off the table, let's say that these three things that it can be, I think the hard work, it starts actually with what we're doing here, which is what does unity actually look like? Because if we're having trouble doing that as, as people who have this as part of their profession uh, and, you know, live and breathe this kind of stuff every day, if we're having trouble figuring out what unity really is, then everyone will. And right. it starts there, but then it goes into what you said, the hard work of uh, living you in unity even if we don't really know what that is, means, you know, making those hard choices in relationships, making those uh, decisions to uh, invest and be intentional when we wouldn't otherwise be because, as you said, we're lazy. And we kind of have this belief that good relationships happen naturally. Uh, And, you know, there's a lot of stuff there, too. So we're, we're kind of fighting a lot of stuff in order to get towards unity. I think it's it also should be said that it's not the only, the, it's not that we're only lazy. Like there's more to it than that. I think we are lazy, but I think also we're afraid. Like oh, yeah. the, the, uh, the kind of thing we're talking about here is scary <laughs> because it's not just that we're scared of hard work, right? We're scared of, um, we're Being scared hurt. of being hurt we're scared of uh taking a chance you know like but honestly with any relationship there's that risk of being hurt right Mm -hmm. i mean any marriage could end in hurt although hopefully they don't and most people who go into them hopefully aren't expecting it to yeah but there is that i meet somebody say you know in five years i hope we get divorced well yeah yeah exactly (laughs) but i mean when you do that there is that risk that that could happen Right. And so I think it's not just laziness. I think to be fair, we also have to say that there's a lot of fear, um, maybe even fear of doing this wrong or fear of, um, you know, whatever it is. I just think that fear is a lot less. um, Well, fear is more. It's not that it's more understandable. I think that fear is easier to deal with in a sense because that doesn't like laziness to me makes it sound like, you know, well, stop being lazy. Right. Whereas fear is more of a, okay, well, how do we do this in spite of fear? Not, have you tried not being afraid? Right. (laughs) So. (laughs) Yeah. And seen that way, I think the three things that we talked about could almost be seen as defense mechanisms so that we don't have to get to unity. Yeah. Uh, at least communally, maybe right. not individually. Like probably unknowingly, but I mean, fear yeah. drives a lot of that stuff. I mean, that's why demagogues work because they help right. people not be afraid. You know, uniformity was a way to deal is a way to deal with the fact that we have trouble dealing with differences. You know, superficiality is so that you don't have to be honest and vulnerable with people. Like all of these are defense mechanisms, and I think. One of the things we're saying about unity is that there's going to have to be a um, breaking down of those defense mechanisms, probably. Yeah. And so that will require hard work. And you already said the second thing that it will require, which is vulnerability. And vulnerability is part of the hard work because we don't like being vulnerable. But to be committed to vulnerability means that we are... um, we're entrusting in other people that potential to be hurt. Mm-hmm. 
we're investing that because uh, we know that there's, well, I don't know. Why are we investing that? Why do you think we need to invest that when it comes to unity? Why do we need to be vulnerable? Yeah. Why are we investing that possibility that we might be hurt, that vulnerability? Well, I mean, maybe we should step back a second and say vulnerability, like vulnerable in what way? Like, uh, you know, I, I hate <laughs> this. This one seems to be where, where we are defining things by saying what they're not. But I guess that's what we learned how to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is. But, so know, true. <laughs> uh, like vulnerability to me is not getting together and someone having verbal diarrhea about their entire life and problems all at once. Right. right? Yeah. I right. think. Uh, vulnerability is more taking a risk and being your authentic self, whatever that means, and being honest about things like fears, you know, about things like inadequacies and, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And it's not so much of, I have to, everybody has to know everything about me and my deepest, darkest fears, because I hope that's not what you do. Cause gosh, that'll be tough. Right. <laughs> But I think it's more of, <clears throat> I think vulnerability that we're talking about is a lot like the idea of carrying each other's burdens, you know? So if I am vulnerable about something I'm afraid of, for example, a real deep fear that I have, someone can help me carry that burden by whatever it is that helps me with that thing. Does that make sense? Like yeah. there, there's a sense of, taking down the defense mechanisms like we talked about, but there there's, I don't know. I, there's more to it than that, that I'm trying to tease out here. Um, I, I think of it like I'll let you tease it out, but I, like it's a recognition. Vulnerability stems from a recognition, I think, of interdependence, that I need you. I need you not just for social connection but i need you for my own mental health for my own emotional health i need you uh because we are created to be in need with one another mm -hmm. and there's this in interdependence that i think is at the root of vulnerability that allows us to yes open up and share our weaknesses not in a verbal diarrhea way because quite frankly that's just another defense mechanism mm -hmm. to shock people and so that they don't know what to do right, right. and therefore see i try to share everything and nobody the emotional uh, shotgun approach <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um but vulnerability is is recognizing that i need other people and that they are worth taking care of me mm -hmm. and you know we have to be careful with that kind of language but I think when it comes to vulnerability, and as long as we're talking about it in the context of vulnerability, relying on somebody else to take care of us, um, no, that's the wrong way to say. Giving ourselves permission to let other people take care of us, mm. I think is really important for community and really speaks to what this commitment looks like. It looks like saying we're actually in this life together on a deep, meaningful, personal way. And I think, you know, it seems like at least in America and probably plenty of other parts of the world, we have this idea of like 
we have to be strong and and stoic and individuals, at least for men. Maybe it's not the same for women, but I, I don't know. Although I think there's some of it for them too, this individualism idea. Yeah. But I think vulnerability is um, having the confidence in the other people in your community to, uh, you know, they're not going to think you are somehow a deficient or deficient as a person because you say, hey, I need help with this. You know, yeah. uh, hey, I messed up on on X, Y, or Z, and I don't know how to fix it. Can we figure it out? You know, whatever it may be, because, you know, the people who cannot admit those things or cannot ask for help that way, they tend to have a really difficult time of life, honestly, I think. Um, And it, but it's, I think largely because it's been kind of hammered into our heads that, you know, you got to be self-sufficient, right? Pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of nonsense. Um, so I think that that's the kind of the kind of thing we're talking about more. Um, it's like I said, it's it's living in community because it or it's important to unity because it's acknowledging that I can't do everything by myself. I can't be everything for every person. You know, right. I, I just can't. I am. There are things, gifts I have, talents I have, and there are plenty that I don't. You know, if. Uh, it's a good thing that there are um, scientists in the world, because if I was trying, <laughs> if, if they'd put me in charge of a COVID vaccine, um, let's just say all the crazy conspiracy theories might be true. <laughs> you know, like you wouldn't want me to be your surgeon kind of stuff, but yeah. that's, that's okay. That's good. Right. So I don't know. I think that's kind of the idea we're more getting at here. If I were to say vulnerability, if vulnerability is entrusting somebody else with our uh, emotional health, well-being, ourselves, if you will. Uh, then the third thing I think that this commitment to unity requires is humility on the other side. Like when somebody entrusts me with their vulnerability, I have to be humble and accept that. Accept that not because uh, I can take care of it and erase all the problems that somebody might bring to me, but that I can accept that and treat it well. Mm-hmm. That's that uh, I can treat that person well, but also not go into all the things that we go into, right? We go into advice really quick mm-hmm. and say, well, I know how you can solve this complex <laughs> yeah. problem you gave me. Right. Uh, that like, I thought about for precisely two and a half minutes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you joked, it was like, just don't be afraid. Right. Uh, okay. Right. Thanks. That's really helpful. Or I hear this a lot around funerals because oh, you God. Know, it's, now it's so easy world. to do. But it's like, uh, yeah, just don't be sad. Yeah. Like, oh, really? You you want to deal with the complexity of mourning and death with just don't be sad or all the variants of that? Uh, that's not dealing with a situation with humility. Uh, and we kind of veered into personal relationships, and I think that's good, but that humility goes outside of just personal relationships. It's humility in, for instance, when somebody shares their religious experience that might differ from mine or might go into how uh, my heritage has impacted me. Some people has impacted them greatly. Other people hasn't at all. Mm-hmm. And there's a humility of understanding that, Right. And I, I think the other thing I was thinking about while you were talking was humility is also 
something that says um, that that requires us not to be like, oh gosh, look at all these people having me help them with their problems, or man, yeah. I'm so good at this because God really brought me here for this specific purpose or whatever it is. It's not that there's no truth to those things, but when it's thought of or conceived of as, you know, this is a point of pride for me, or this is something that even if I never tell it to other people, I know that in my heart, it's something that I use to, um, to feel better about myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of the, that's kind of the opposite of humility, right? Well, that's, that's a, the demagoguery, is it not? Yeah, it's it's a yeah. I think it's that. I think it's a, a spiritual arrogance, you know, like, yeah. and often, by the way, it's what people will use to not deal with their own problems, right? They'll help everybody else with theirs, mm-hmm. so they don't have to confront their own. But yeah, but it, yeah, like humility in this respect is admitting that we're all as messed up as the other person, just in different ways. But that's. But the, the benefit of community, I think why God has created us to live in community in this kind of unity is because we need help with those things. And, and we're not, as human beings, equipped to deal with it on our own, right? I mean, from the very beginning, and I, I promise you this is not about marriage, or at least not just, God says it's not good to be alone. Yeah. Right? God right. even created humans because God was alone. Yeah. And so like there's this uh, I think that's just how we're designed. And I think it is good for us to be vulnerable with others, but it's also good um, for us to let ourselves be that way. Or I think I said the same thing, but I'm trying to say it's good both ways. I, I just think like, can we reflect on it for a moment how weird it is in pre-fall conditions, Adam is not happy. Mm. That is just remarkable, right? Well, because it's supposed to be perfection. Well, think about what it must be like to be the only human being in creation. But Adam had literally everything he needed, uh, you know, aside from relationships, as we find out. But then Eve comes and creates this fullness, and that's why it's very good mm. on the sixth day not because man's created as like the demagogue of creation but because the community and the fullness of creation is seen in that community that's been created between adam and eve and there's even something and this makes the evangelical dregs that are still left in me very uncomfortable to say but there's (laughs) even something to the idea of a relationship with god wasn't enough Right. There's there's something about the otherness of God that even though Adam walked with God in the garden, there was something that Adam needed from another human being. Yeah. God either could not or did not provide. Yeah. And I I use that actually, to be honest, and we might be going on to a tangent. I don't know. But I use that to to remind married couples, you need friends. Mm need other people in your life because it's not speaking to the deficiency of your your partner it's speaking to who you are as a human being you need people in your life and at some point you learn to love your wife or your husband or your partner and you're able to do things differently as you get older but you definitely need other people in your life yeah so i so we did a bit of a diversion there but i think it was good and i you know too bad if you didn't. Um, <laughs> since we brought up God, though, to bring it back, I think 
one of the other things Nate and I talked about before we did this was that while unity is a commitment on our part to all of these things, I think it would be a mistake um, or these things or these attitudes or dispositions or whatever, I think it would be a mistake to view it as something that is only done by us, right? There is a dimension of this, a very important one that I think that we are committing to follow the work of the spirit in this, right? If the spirit is in charge of the church, which I promise you she is, then there's some some uh, some way in which if we try to do this all by ourselves, we can wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to be humble. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, you know, I'm willing to do the hard work and I'm going to do all these things. And that's as far as we go. It probably won't work all that well by itself. Um, there is, I think, has to be a commitment to the work of God um, in order for this kind of thing to actually happen. Yeah, because... All three of these things are possible in any community, and I think they're needed in any community. Uh, hard work, vulnerability, and humility. But the work of God, the Spirit, uh, influencing those things makes it look different in a Christian context. Sure. I mean, there's something different about the Christian context, right? The things we've talked about before this could be something they'd tell you at work, some jobs, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And those would be good things there or something you might learn in therapy or that kind of thing. And though that's all good. Great. You know, but there is also something distinct about a community of faith. I mean, any community of faith, probably not just the Christian ones, but that's the one we're talking about because that's ours. So there is something distinct and special and required um, about this type of community that like, well, to use Adam and Eve again, right? Yes, Adam and Eve had a relationship with each other and it was something they needed. They also walked with God in every day. Yeah, right. Like they also talked with God. God dealt with them in a way that God does not deal with most of us or maybe any of us anymore, you know? Um, I mean, honestly, it's also, you know how we said this is hard work and it's there's a lot of fear involved and all that, those kinds of things. Well, I think those are the things we have to depend on God for to help us with. You know, mm -hmm. I, I've, I've shared before how I've struggled with fear for most of my life in various iterations and for different reasons. And try as I might, I'd read all the verses in the Bible about, you know, there's no fear, you know, why Christians don't need to be afraid all the time. And just in my mind, telling myself I don't need to be afraid didn't really help very much. It was, and it's still a process, still working on it, but it's been more of learning how to walk with God in a way that drives out fear, right? It's not, I, I can't just get rid of that myself as much as I would love to. Um, like, we're never going to do these things by ourselves. And that's why we need a commitment to allow God to work. Um, I know that sounds like a funny phrase, but for whatever reason, I don't, God seems to limit how work takes place. Like we have some kind of agency in it is what I'm saying. I mean, some mm -hmm. of you might disagree with that, but that's, that's what I think. Um, Lutherans get nervous with agency. Well, let's put it this way. God wants some buy-in from us in some way, I think. Um, feel free to disagree, but you're wrong. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I guess maybe, okay, here's a better way to put it, perhaps. 
I think there needs to be a commitment to God, a recognition that the Spirit is going to do these things, is going to work with us on these things. And I think that recognizes that I think there's a commitment from God to us in this, you know, um, that I think God will do that in whatever way that God does. Uh, I just have a trouble. I have trouble imagining us being like, well, God, we really want to see this kind of unity because we think it's what you intended all along. And and we want to be, you know, uh, we want to worship you and we want to be closer to you and all those things. And God's like, eh, kind of busy. Uh, yeah, you right. Know, or eh, I think you should do this yourself or whatever. Like, I just don't think God is going to do that. I, I think, I, I don't know, maybe it's too much to call it a covenant, but God seems to like covenants. You know, God seems mm-hmm. to like promising and, and thing, us things and, and, and participating with us in, in things. God seems to like to do that. Where I get kind of comfortable thinking about this because i agree 100 percent. where i get comfortable thinking about this is as you said we're, we're committing to each other uh you you said this but you kind of skipped over it um quickly which is that we also commit this to our relationship with god to the way that we live with god mm-hmm. i think that's really important to flesh out a little bit like our, our a lot of christians believe whether that's because of a, a mythology of getting a salvation token so that you can, you know, bypass hell and get into heaven and pay the fee at the door or other reasons. But we have this idea that our relationship with God is easy, hmm. that it is without. I don't know problem. what their relationship has been like, because my, my mind with God has never been easy. Yeah, I love Jesus's. uh uh, humor, yeah. I would say, where he says, my my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Mm. Uh, well, you know, that's an oxymoron. Well, the same guy says to die to yourself and pick up your cross. <laughs> exactly right. right. Yeah. But even just within that, a yoke is never easy. A burden is never light. And so he's talking about something different than just uh, the relationship with me is easy. Mm. It's saying something about that relationship. And I think what we're trying to get at is, is exactly what he's saying, which is do the hard work in the relationship and what we see come from that, not as a result of that necessarily, but what does flow from that. Maybe I think of it more as like, it opens our eyes Mm. to what God is doing in our lives that we start to see things in that covenantal way, that, that God is working in our lives to help us be uh, more vulnerable and humble with other people because he he's generous, right? If we're humble and vulnerable with an inch, he gives us a mile back. It's just remarkable how that works. So I think there's that interplay that makes this unique in a Christian community where and it's really hard to pinpoint this because we don't have the language for it i think that's what i heard a lot when you were talking it's not that um you were saying everything good and right but we just don't have the language to really understand how god works with within a united uh community 
because we just don't talk that way. Well, and, and I, I think, and maybe this isn't fair, but this is just, you know, my thoughts as they come to me here. I think maybe the reason we haven't seen this very much, the kind of unity we're talking about, is perhaps most of the efforts at it have ignored that um, divine dimension, if you will, uh, have, have tried to do it ourselves, right? Like we commit to, you know, hanging out with people from other churches or making some kind of joint declaration on justification or whatever it is, yeah. right? Um, and those are all fine and good, but if those are only coming from our effort, Right. I think maybe that's why we haven't seen very much of this, because we've depended too much on our own. I know I said the thing about agency, but in and of itself, it's not enough. Yeah. And there is agency, definitely. Right. Because even in that interplay of us working in our relationship to God, that requires agency. Sure. Um, otherwise, we're just and I think a lot of Lutherans would love this, but we're just brains in a tube. Right. Um or robots, as you right. said earlier, uh, yeah. we're not those things. We are human beings that require action from us as buy-in, as a work within the relationship, not so that we get things from it. That's my Lutheran heritage pushing back and saying, you know, don't ever talk about how you do something and you earn what God gives you. Which is not uh, what I was saying either. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But that explains my hedging because yeah. I, I'm always resistant to that. But I think it's absolutely true. I think that we're in the place that we're in uh, because we have ignored that either through the defense mechanisms that we talked about, what unity is not, uniformity, demagoguery, or whatever, but also because we're resistant, we're afraid is probably a better way. Mm -hmm of doing these things with God, of, of having this interplay with him in our own relationship, individually, communally, but also just recognizing that he works that way. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that it's, I'm kind of thinking like maybe a good way to balance it is, is, um, you know, Nate, you've got kids, right? <laughs> and sometimes I imagine not having kids myself, sometimes you let them figure things out on their own, probably more and more as they get older, right? Because if you do everything for them, that's bad parenting, in my very learned opinion. Um, <laughs> but sometimes, like, they need you for things. With every question. Well, that too, right? You don't want to be one of those helicopter parents. No. Um, <laughs> anyway, sorry. But, but sometimes they need you, and, and you help them not I don't know that they deserve it. You help them because you love them and you yeah. want them to to uh, know how to do things or or how to think or whatever it is. And I think maybe it's kind of like that. If, if we're children of God, um, God does let us do some part of this ourselves, but God also helps us because God wants to do that because God loves us. Like, why would that not, you know? Um, yeah. It's very different than like you ever had one of those professors whose only mode is to um, show you what you don't know. <laughs> and that can be very useful for some things and for a time. But if that's all it ever is, you don't get that far. I like it. So there you go, folks. That's unity. We've solved it. So next week, we'll do our next project. <laughs> <laughs> well, as Ryan said, we're working towards something, right? We're not really, 
And I think as as academic and annoying as that is sometimes, I think it's actually probably closer to what unity or at least the pursuit of unity looks like because you know we're, we're at least where we are we don't know we don't have an, a heritage that helps us understand that fully uh we don't have a lot of language to help guide us um and we certainly certainly do not have a lot of experience to help inform us mm. uh but that doesn't mean we can't endeavor to do it. In fact, if we're going to be committed to these three things, maybe that's part of the reason those three things came up, because we're recognizing just thinking about unity requires hard work, vulnerability, and humility. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's as good as it gets. Maybe that's where we need to start is recognizing that so that we can do the work of what unity can look like. Well, and I think often things need time to be prepared in our hearts, right? Like there's something to, there's a reason why we see the metaphor of seeds a lot in the New Testament, Mm -hmm. right? Like you plant it, you water it, it grows. Some things very quickly, although usually the things that grow quickly don't last very long, right? But this idea that like this work in our hearts that the Holy Spirit is doing or will do, or will do some more is, I think it is a work in progress too. I mean, maybe for some things it's not, but generally speaking, I think that's that way because it's good for us. You know, um, it'd be very strange to wake up and find a forest of oak trees the day after you planted them <laughs> kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and you lose something in the process, right. right? Because it requires something from you as a gardener or forester or whatever that would whatever be. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, I think, I mean, I hate wine because wine is terrible, but I think about, you know, grapes grow for different amounts of time in different places for different flavors and and all that kind of stuff. And uh, it's that idea of like, it's okay that it won't necessarily be overnight. I mean, I doubt it will be at all. You know, it is going to take some time, but that's okay because while God is doing that, we can also do the steps that we can do. You know, Um, so, yeah. So that's our conversation for today around a second commitment as usual. uh, Well, as usual for these two episodes, usual. (laughs) Uh, We didn't really get to a full picture. Um, I don't think we can at this stage, uh, maybe ever. But I think I hope that gave you a clear idea of where we are after we went through this. Ryan and I both thought, oh, yeah, that's a pretty good idea of what unity looks like and what it could mean for a community. So thank you for listening for this one. Uh, of course, for the other one, if you haven't listened to the commitment to difference, I think there it's really important. As I opened up, they are two sides of the same coin in order to, to pursue unity, as we talked about in this episode. We also have to pursue difference. And in order to pursue difference, we also have to pursue unity. So take a listen to that episode if you haven't already. And next time, we're going to talk about uh, where we go from here. And Ryan, where are we going to go from here? Well, again, keeping with with theme here, we're still working towards something. So we don't know exactly. But I think or we think what we want to talk about next is so what are some possible goals, right? So we've kind of laid out um, what we think is needed as a conceptual sense, like as a framework sort of, and we're still working on that. But, you know, what 
This is sort of getting us closer to practical steps while also acknowledging we're still figuring it out. So we want to see a people who do this, or we want to see a community that does that, or a place where people can, you know, and we don't know what that is yet. So that's why I'm teasing it that way, because I don't know. Um, <laughs> but that's the kind of thing we're going to talk about is like, okay, now that we've got this in our brains, at least a little bit, as much as we can right now, what what do we start to do with it? Or at least what are some things we hope might be possible to do with it? So we hope you can join us next time, but more importantly, we hope that you can join us in this conversation. Uh, we're hoping that this can be a project that not just Ryan and I do, but that we do together. We have about uh, you know a dozen and a half people listening. I got to make it sound bigger than we can. <laughs> uh, but we, we have quite a few people listening, more than we ever thought would listen. Uh, and we want to hear from you. We want to hear what you think. Have we covered commitments that would matter to you in a community like this? Does a community like this make you nervous, make you excited? Uh, share with us all of your thoughts at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. And let us know what you're thinking. Let us know what we can talk about, what we can explore. Because uh, if this episode has taught you anything, we're kind of grappling in the dark here, trying to figure out where we can go together. Um, so please send those in to us. We also ask that you give us reviews on uh, the podcast application that you use. As wow. long as they're good reviews. Yeah, as long <laughs> as they're good reviews. So far, we have had two good reviews. And we're kind of doing this a little late because I haven't been paying attention. I'm sorry that we didn't do this earlier. We'll try to catch them better. But we had a five-star review that was given to us by Jerry on Apple Podcasts. And I want to just read that. Uh, I don't know if that's okay, but I just want to read it because I think it's really cool. Uh, Jerry writes, Nate and Ryan hold candid conversations about Western Christianity's past and future, engaging topics rarely explored in faith circles. These guys have a lot of, a lot of knowledge to share, but it's their vulnerability about past mistakes and present insecurities that make this podcast one of a kind. Join these pioneers as they pass through uncharted territory, taking care to mine some, mine some gold along the way. And I thank you, Jerry. That's awesome. Uh, we really appreciate that. We want to hear more. Uh, Ryan's in jest. We want to hear, of course, we want to hear the things that you're not happy about or things that we can improve, but not on the ratings. Yeah, and send those to us, right. Uh, <laughs> we'll take care of it. We've actually adjusted quite a bit of what we do based off of some feedback that we've received. So uh, please send that to us. If you're on Amble Podcast, just give us a five-star, write a review. That would be awesome. Uh, and we just appreciate you listening. Uh, more than anything else, uh, Ryan and I started this as something we just needed to do for ourselves. And as we've been doing that, we've discovered that other people are in the same place that we are. And it's creating this desire for us to speak with you and uh, sometimes for you if needed for where you are in your journey. And that's how we're going to close today. Uh, remember, that is what you're on. Faith is a journey, to use that tired image. But it's true. It's not a destination. It's not a place where you can say you fully get this, that, or the other. It's about committing to walking with our Savior, with our friend and our brother, Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, 
and recognizing that that will change. It will look like it'll look different depending on where you are in that journey. And that's why we always say it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe, why you believe it, because you are on that journey of faith, not just with Jesus, but with us. And we're so glad that you're with us. Have a great week. We will see you next time.